so good. Thank you for that one person that missed me. Amen. It's good to be. It's good to be back home. It's good to be. It's good to be home. Um, I so enjoy pastoring, and it, it's 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 a thrill. It's an honor uh, to do that. And so today, not knowing they were going to do that, um, I think it fits so well with the message I'm about to share because I'm going to share a pastor's heart. Uh, I've been on staff at various ministries, and one of the joys that I have is that I get to work closely with the pastor and just to make sure that the gap that exists between the pastor and the people, it's part of my responsibility to make sure that gap closes. And how you close that gap is really honor. Someone say honor. Honor is such a powerful word that it stretches and fills the gap of any sort of barriers that people are experiencing. And so um, I thought it was neat now that I'm a pastor to kind of share from my heart a message I believe is going to equip you, encourage you, prayerfully is going to explain to you why pastors exist, what God is doing through pastors, and really how it benefits you. Is that okay? If we just break it down, how this really benefits you. So today's message is titled, Stop and Go. Stop and go. Um, I received a card, to, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, I received a card uh, from somebody, or maybe, no, sorry, it was Friday, it was Friday, and they were, I uh, said, Pastor, we gave you this card because you like acronyms, you like doing everything that starts, I thought it was so cool, I'm like, people are getting it, praise God, you know, and, um, and so the word stop is an acronym, and I'm going to really explain to you how critical it is that we discern when to stop and when to go. It's very important. If you want to um, achieve any great things in your life, when to stop and when to go. And so as the message is unfold, as the message unfolds this morning, I believe that you'll see what it is that I am sharing. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Let's park there with your Bible. Turn to Hebrews 13, verse 17. With your iPhone or whatever device that you use, turn uh, to Hebrews 13, verse 17, one of the great texts that speaks about leaders and how important it is that we identify uh, leaders because leaders have been given the privilege of telling you when to stop and when to go. And if you can understand stop and go, you would be able to know how to reserve your energy and know when to release energy, Right? And I'm not talking energy as some force. You know what I mean? God is not some energy. God is God. He's a being, right? I'm talking energy in terms of your passion and, and, and things of that nature, okay? So Hebrews 13, verse 17. If you're there, say, I'm there, Pastor. Yeah. All right. It begins with these dangerous words. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account... Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would not be of no advantage to you. For that would be of no advantage to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we will be captured by it. We will be challenged by it. We will celebrate the truth that we receive. Lord, help us today. To be people who recognize the times and the seasons 
and know when to stop and know when to go. We honor and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is, it is interesting how God always seems to confirm his message to me. It is my desire to always make sure that I'm hearing from the Lord. And I've said this to you before, and I will continue to say it because I want to be a pastor who honors the people that God has brought to this ministry. We must never forget that it's Jesus who's building his church and not some human. We must never forget that Jesus says that upon this rock, he is building his church. And so as leaders, as pastors, we have the responsibility and we have the honor of working alongside of Jesus to do what he wants us to do. That way you can have confidence that I'm not giving you my agenda, but I'm giving you the word of God that has the anointing to break yokes off of your life. Pastors must first and foremost have a heart that moves them to see people set free. They must have that. I want you to write this down or keep this in your mind because this will set you free. I want you to understand the difference between rights and freedom. That there's a big difference between those two. Big difference between those two. And if you have rights, it doesn't necessarily mean you have freedom. But if you have freedom, you always know your rights. And so as a pastor, it is critical because as we see people who are walking in bondage and walking in limitations, it's not to condemn, but it's to break those limitations so you can see that there's movement. Amen, somebody. That there's movement, that you don't have to stay here, that you can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so how we do that, he begins in Hebrews 13. And, and, and to stay in context, please understand that God is a God of movements. Right from the beginning of the Bible, you know I'm always going to go back to those first three chapters in Genesis. Right from the beginning, of the Bible says, Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we serve a God who moves. Thank God for that. That we serve a God who moves. And so even in the uh, Old Testament, we see that the children of Israel, which was considered the congregation in the wilderness, we noticed that, that they were being moved, that they were being guided by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And so whenever the cloud would move, they would do what? They would move. And whenever it would stop, they would do what? They would stop. And it is vital, it is critical, because things are being missed, that if we would stop, we would see them. And things are ahead of us, that if we recognize when to go, we would possess them. And so, as a pastor, Hebrews 13, 17 is speaking clearly to me, because in this chapter, after the writer of Hebrews has taken 12 chapters to get to his point, he now brings up this truth, he brings up this culturally outrageous truth, obey your leaders. He takes the laborious time, he he breaks down the structures and the systems, and he elevates Jesus Christ. And he now says... Obey your leaders. You see, let me reveal something to you that God brought me here. That when this assignment was brought to me, the scripture that God gave was Acts 18, verse 9 to 11. God wanted to make sure that I was in alignment with his will for my life. He stopped me. He says, before you do anything else, I want you to recognize why it is I am bringing you here. 
And he humbled me and he says, make sure you always have a heart to honor because he recognizes that it is his church that he's building. And so in Acts 18, verse 9 and 11, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. He says in verse 10, and this is where he spoke to me. He says, for I am with you. I made it personal. He was saying, Rowan, I am with you. So go on speaking. Don't be silent. I am the one that's sending you there. And no one will attack you to harm you. He didn't say you wouldn't get hurt. He said you wouldn't be harmed. Because pastoring people is hard work. It's hard work bringing my ego and moving it out of the way. So I don't hinder what God is doing in your life. It's hard work as well. And we're going to get into when I have to also at moments tell you when to stop it. And so therefore he reminds me, he says that no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city of Marion in the, in the regions around who are my people. So he says when I'm sending you to a city where there are people crying out. Unto God. Is there anybody here this morning and online that you're one of those people that you're saying, I'm in this city, I'm in this region, I'm in this county, I'm in this state. Why? Because God has put something inside of me. I got to get it out. And so he says, I want you now to partner with me in what I'm doing in this city. And teaching the word of God amongst them. And so he gave me my job description. He gave me my responsibility. He says, this is what you must do. You're going to meet people in the city that are saying, we've been praying for you. You're going to meet people in this city that's going to also say, I want to hurt you. And I have to be able to honor and recognize it's a spirit that's trying to harm me. Because when you give this instructions as the right of Hebrew mentions three times in this chapter, if you read it in Hebrews 13, three times he speaks of leaders. He first says, remember your leaders. In the context, he was talking about those who passed, those who, who died. And he says, remember the impact that they had in your life. These are the heroes he talked about earlier in the chapter. And where he talked about now faith and he gives the, the, the halls of faith, the people who walk by faith. And we have to remember those people who stood firm in the midst of pressure. We got to remember those leaders. Come on, those leaders who stood the test of time and allowed us who made way in the forest so we can drive our cars through on pavement. Come on, we've got to remember our leaders that went before us. And then in this Verse, he says, obey your leaders. And then he ends it by saying, greet your leaders. So in this particular chapter, we can see how important it is for us to recognize leaders. And so this text, as I mentioned earlier, is culturally outrageous in the 21st century. Why? Because with so much corruptions of leaders, with so many things that we have no confidence in, how in the world can the pastor, how in the world can spiritual leaders stand up and say, obey your leaders? When you hear those words, it vibrates deep inside the halls of your experience of corruption and manipulation. I will not be manipulated anymore. I will not be taken advantage of anymore. I will not be controlled anymore. And so honor has left the building. Because I don't know whether or not you're going to use this text to manipulate or to cause me to move. 
And so I rustled between responding and reacting. And so therefore I am stuck. And so the scripture says that he's a God of movement. And so what happens is this, is that we're in a culture of where there's entitlement and no empowerment. We're in a culture of where everything must be entertained and nothing encountered. And so therefore, we sit in this space that we don't know what to do. And God says, I've called leaders to step into that space and to be able to lead you. So as a ministry, just so you know what you're a part of, we do life together. That was a mandate by God. He first told me, go to the city. I got people in the city. When we got here, he said, there's life here. That's why I do what I do. It's because there is life here. And so what we do is we serve people. We demonstrate faith. Because we want to witness the work of the spirit that transforms lives. And we want to see committed followers of Jesus Christ. If we do that, this city will be God-fearing and God-honoring. If we do that, drugs will no longer rule our cities. If we do that, come on, we will see freedom. And then we'll be able to exercise our right. And so as we look at this, we must recognize that, 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 that what the climate has been in these last eight months has been nothing but challenging. We, we began in March with, with the revelation of a pandemic that, that, that shifted the church. We, we also went through and still going through racial tensions. And now, now we've approached a presidential election. All three things that are, that are weighing this, 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 this concept of who do I obey? Who do I give my honor to? Who do I listen to? And so, I thought it was interesting that every four years we come across pastors and priests at the presidential election at the same time. It, it gives us a perspective to look at, to see God unfolding. Come on. And we got one who leads a nation, but another one who controls the soul of the nation. So here we stand now having to, having to wrestle with this thing together. And so therefore, if there's ever a moment we need leaders, we need leaders right now. But, but not just for the, for the surface things, there's also secondary issues. Cause for some people, it's not about the election. For some people, it's their very life that they're struggling with. They got a doctor's report. Come on. They got financial challenges. They, they got a child that they need to, got to intervene on. There are other issues that we are facing as well. And yes, I need someone to speak to that as well. So the best thing we can do with my time with you right now is to say, in order to look at this text, Hebrews 13 verse 17, and to be able to respond to it, we then must partner together. That we must partner as, as, as the one behind the pulpit and the one in the pew, we must partner together in order to understand how this works. And so how it works is simply this, is that we partner together because here is the deal. As your leader, I have to stand before God and give an account of what I taught you and how I lived. I have to stand before God and say, how did you believe that? And how did you behave? Were you consistent to give them confidence in who I am? Mm -hmm. 
And so every Sunday you take a vote of confidence whether you realize it or not. And if the message resonates with you, we want him back. And if it doesn't, we don't want him back. Now you don't say it out loud, thank you for being generous. But you may think that. And so for me then, I have to partner and I have to come and recognize where there's honor then. It brings into balance those two dichotomy. It brings into balance when you look and you can recognize that, oh my goodness, maybe I should obey. Why? Because there's something he wants to teach me that's from God. Ooh. And so therefore we have to partner together. You understand? Not about controlling you belong to God, but it's about partnering together. And so when you grieve, I grieve. Come on. And when you hurt, I hurt. Mm-hmm. You feel me, right? And so whatever emotions you're experiencing, I've got to be able to have empathy. I've got to be able to go there. Why? Because it's vital that you recognize when to stop and when to go. And so the writer of Hebrews is making sure that this is understood. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that, that is so interesting, right? When we look at the causes and we look at what's going on, I can't afford to have to stand before God. I can't pick sides. Here's why. Because I'm standing before God and you can't pick sides either because you got to stand before God as well. And so what he's saying here is this, is this is the stand. This is, this is where we stand. We stand and people die without Christ. They are separated forever. For eternity. That someone dies that don't know Jesus. They are separated from Jesus. What other cause could be more important than that? And so fight, yes. But make sure you're standing. Come on. And when you look at this, we recognize. I'm seeing so many people who are, who are dying and my heart breaks. And I'm saying, God, did they know you as Lord and Savior? And my heart is weeping. Did they know you as Lord and Savior? Did they make uh, not just a decision where they committed? Did they believe in who you are? That is where we must stand. That is where we will fight from. That is what's happening because it's so easy to do the other but to stand that's what the three Hebrew boys did in the midst of battling between what do we do how do we handle this in the middle of that what we saw they said we're just going to stand because other people picked their sides and as they bowed come on as they quote unquote complied what happened was they stood out and God intervened because God saying I will stand with you I will stand with you. And so no matter what you're facing, no matter the pressure, no matter what's going on, hear me, TGP, God is going to stand with you. No matter what you are facing, God is going to stand with you. That's for somebody right there, that God is going to stand with you. Yes, and because we're partnered with God, we recognize that we will stand as well. So standing doesn't mean you don't speak about issues. Standing means you won't move me from my stand in Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And so we need honor and wisdom and love. We got to do that because we have a world that's looking at the church, which is the soul of a nation. And they're asking the church, what is going on in the world? I take that seriously. I take it seriously. And so here it is in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24. 
I love the King James for this one. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, it says this, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. You ready for this? For by faith, you stand. For by faith, you stand. And so when I look at that scripture, I recognize that it is critical, it is vital for us to recognize that we stand and we want you to stand in your faith. We want you to stand in your faith in who? In Jesus Christ. We want you to stand firm in your what? In your convictions of Jesus Christ. We want you to stand firm in your belief in Jesus Christ. The only way you and I can live is if we live, come on, is if we live standing on Jesus Christ. And so it's 2 Corinthians 1.24. My apologies, 2 Corinthians 1.24. And that's where we have to stand. That we're not having dominion over you. So, so as a pastor, my job is not to have my thumbprint on you. No, I want the hand of God on you. Don't just get my thumb, get the hand of God. Come on. That's so good. That's so good. So ready for this? People will stop. Write this down. People will stop when they know it's safe. People will stop when they know it's safe. And so the writer of Hebrew is telling them right now. He's saying they will stop this religious thing of bringing their sheep and their goat and bringing the system that no longer is superior. It is now inferior to Jesus Christ. They will stop doing that. It's been a tradition for years. And he said, I'm asking them to break off things that they've only known for their life. And I'm telling them to stop. And they're like, stop. He says, yeah. He says, stop. And so he has to partner with them in order to do that. And so this partnership with God even works in the halls. Come on, of politics. It does. Because I love what Tony Evans writes. I've been researching, searching scripture. Man, listen, I've been studying more and more in this election. Anytime I'm like, I should be a Harvard professor. I don't know if that's good or bad. But I mean, I should be in some academia because I've been studying, looking at it. says, God, I'm going before your people, interceding for your people and saying, God, give me something that is not compromising, but yet full of compassion. Give me something that's your heartbeat. God. And so I love what Tony Evans says. He begins, and here's the deal, here's the problem. And when I say this, please understand what I mean when I say this. When I say Christianity, I'm not removing the word Christian that we read in the Bible. So please get that first and foremost, because I'm about to break, I'm going to share you something with you. God partners. To expand his kingdom, not Christianity. That Christianity is a label, but the kingdom is a lifestyle. And what has happened, you've never been taught the kingdom. You've been taught Christianity. And you're fighting for your rights, but the kingdom gives you freedom. And when you recognize kingdom, good God Almighty, you will always get your right straight. And so the enemy says, let them fight for a label so I can hinder their lifestyle. Because only the kingdom can break sin and barriers and things in your life. Because Jesus came and says the kingdom of God is here. 
So when we look at things, we have to do this. We have to recognize that love in this nation then requires you bring and declare, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer that Jesus taught. But we've been taught Christianity. And what happens, you're battling for language that don't belong in the kingdom. And the enemy says, I just keep making you speak cultural language so you won't be able to use your mouth and tell mountains to move. You won't use your mouth and say, get out of the way, devil. What you and I will do then is we will just live in the Christianity label. And so we have to understand the kingdom. Someone say, I'm part of the kingdom. And so here it is now, and this is what makes sense now. When you want to engage in politics or education of those mountains, if you want to see those mountains move, here's how you do it. He says, we look at every opportunity and the responsibility, ready, of committed Christians, committed followers of Christ, as they were first called in the book of Acts. And Peter called them that because that's what they knew. And for them, what it meant is not what it means today. It's not even close. It's not even close. They literally knew these people were with Christ. And so that's what they called them. So before you label me, get your definition right. Come on. And so let's not be labeled. Come on, somebody. Let's not be labeled. We're part of the kingdom of God. And we have a lifestyle. Come on, that can break off things in your life. Is there anybody? Listen to me right now. Your kids need to know about the kingdom. Your employment needs to know about the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we partner. And we look at the opportunity, the responsibility of committed Christians, right? To partner with God by expanding his rule in society through civil government. So to expand his rule means movement. It means to expand his rule. It means to look at the scriptures and to be able to say, what do the scriptures say about that? And it's about a kingdom. And what has happened is that we've rarely ever heard about a kingdom. We may say the word, but we recognize we don't know what it is. Because here's what we do. We preach. We preach the Bible, but we don't preach the kingdom found in the Bible. So we do this, and Jesus walked to Capernaum. Information. We don't teach, and Jesus, because of the kingdom assignment that God gave to him, moved because God told him to move. Come on. And he was partnering with the Holy Ghost because he knew things are strategic, and he had to be obedient. And so he only did what the Father told him to do. Come on, somebody. And because what the Father told him to do, he did it, expanding the kingdom of God. Come on. Somebody say freeze frame so I can get my towel. Praise God. Freeze frame. Amen. So we have to partner with God. So everything, every thought you have, ask the question, is this thought partnering with God? With your money, is this partnering with God? With your emotions, is this partnering with God? Come on. Every single thing you have to ask that question, is this that I'm doing partnering with God because I have to give an account to God? Am I expanding his rule in society? And we know that we are because we will see evil moved out of an area. If your church closed, would the community even care? Because when you bring the kingdom message, you recognize that when people ask you, 
I'm partnering with God. I know when to stop and I know when to go. And so here it is. So the biblical role, let me hold my Bible. So, you know, the biblical role, this is Tony Evans, of civil government, as outlined in Romans 13, is to maintain a safe, a just, a righteous, and compassionate, responsible environment for freedom to flourish. That's what it is. And so what we have to recognize now is this, is that what is freedom? Freedom is your ability to stop and to go. It is to expand the rule of God. It is to take what's in your heart, come on, and to see it expand for the glory of God. I was talking, I'm not pick on Kobe, but I'm just going to acknowledge, that guy has a rocket for an arm as a, as a, as a quarterback. I was like, it was at the uh, youth fire route. I'm like, my goodness, that thing's like way over there. And I went and I said, here's how you expand it for the kingdom. You recognize now that getting a platform, come on, as a quarterback, come on, and leading my team. Oh, good God, I'm like, what I'm doing now is I'm partnering with God who gave me the talent in the first place. And so I want to expand his rule by them seeing me perform. So when they ask me in the name, how did you do that? I can say it's in the name of Jesus Christ. Because if I can declare God now in high school, I'll declare God in college. I'll declare God in university. I'll declare God wherever. Because I am partnering with God to expand his rule in society. Because I don't want nobody but God to tell me what to do. So we have to partner with God. And so that's the biblical role. And so what happens, what happens is this, that when we see what's going on, and I'm thinking to myself, people, you're free. You're free. But if you don't know the definition of freedom, you will not expand the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And God is saying, I give you freedom. Who the son has set free is what? Free indeed. So why do you think I worship the way I worship? Come on. I know what it's like to be in bondage, good God Almighty. I know what it's like for the devil to continue to remind me that I'm an orphan. Come on. And he tries to remind me, you daddy didn't love you. But I tell that devil, shut up. Come on. I tell the devil, I'm moving because God, I partner with God and he's telling me who I am. And so here we do it now. So what happens? The pastor comes in your life and the pastor says, stop. He, he comes in your life and you recognize he meets all the criteria and you realize now, okay, his heart is for things of God. And so what happens now? He comes and he says, stop. So again, back to my illustration or back to what I talked about when they came out of Egypt and they were going, they were moving under the leadership of Moses. But every time it would stop, they had to stop. What if somebody says, I'm going to keep moving? I'm going to keep going when God says stop. Or they're going to stop when God says go. And we look in what was called the church in the wilderness. He was trying to bring a nation, come on, to possess a land, good God Almighty, to establish his rule and reign so that everyone who would come through that land, come on, if they had other gods, they would meet the God of the Bible. They would meet Jehovah God and they would have to recognize his lordship and his rulership. And so 
There is history of man, but there's the redemptive history of God. There's the history of man, but there's the redemptive history of God. And so he says, stop. And the first thing would stop is this. Submit to your leaders. He says, stop. Submit to your leaders. Submit to your leaders. And he says, first thing, submit to your leaders. Why? Because they are in this with you. Submission is not a bad word if you know your mission. And so if you know your mission, if you know who you're about, you'll be able to discern when someone comes into your life. Come on, that's a leader to influence your life. What they're doing is they influence you to stand in your faith. Come on, they're coming to help you in the joy. I hope you know that when you came to Jesus, there's supposed to be joy in your life. It's almost like God's like, I'm sorry to bother you by saving you. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's like some people when you go and and you order something from them and they're just like, they're miserable. I'm like, why even work in the front desk? Like you're miserable. Like you're just miserable. And you don't want me as a customer. Come on. You you feel what I'm saying? I'm like, how are you doing today? Because I don't want you to go back to the cook and say something. You know what I mean? Because the cook can do whatever he wants. (laughs) So I'm like, I want to be nice. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm picky, right? So, um, But you submit to your leaders once you know your mission. So here's the deal. Submission comes easier when you recognize your mission, when you recognize your worth and your value. So a leader is going to speak to you through your value system. He's going to speak to you the words of God. Why? Because he wants to create a culture where submission is not a threat, but submission is a transformation. And so we want to create an environment that that, that it's about transformation and not just about threats. It doesn't work, people. So you want people to submit to your leaders. And then he says, with T, he says, number two, take the advantage of being led. It's so cool. He says, take the advantage. In Hebrews 13, he says, it's to your advantage. It's to your advantage that you submit to leaders. So it's all about you. This is so cool. Are you telling me if I submit to the leadership, it's for my advantage? Yeah. Because I have to be accountable, but it's to your advantage. Here's the deal. I tell my kids all the time. I said, your dad knows people. Now, I, I, he knows people. And I said, there's people I hang around with that God is using to start companies and start business. And if you want employment, come on. And they're going to ask for a reference. They're going to be able to interview with one sentence. Who's your daddy? If Pastor Rowe is your pops. You hired. People put resumes in and they wonder why get that employment? Because you want the favor of God on your life. Come on, somebody. The favor will put you in places that your resume, your, oh, I wish I had somebody that knows you're only where you are because the favor of God. You don't got the knowledge. You're not that smart. It's the favor of God that says, I'm going to bless you. You better believe it. You better believe it. Praise God. Amen, somebody. You see what I'm saying? Hey, man. And that's why I'm like, listen, Blaine, Mary Danny, I'm like, you, 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 you coming in a blessing. You know what I'm saying? You coming to a blessing because you are a blessing. Because the favor got on your life. Come on, somebody. 
And now I saw how you submitted. Come on, somebody. And so I can trust that now. Now I have confidence to give you my precious daughter because I saw that you. So your submission, not knowing it was to your advantage to get my daughter. Come on. Ooh, and Blaine said amen to that. So therefore, that's what it is. So it's to take the advantage. If you don't see any advantage, come on, then you need to stop. Stop and see that it is to your advantage. And that's why the Bible even says in Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right so you can live long on the earth. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? It, it's to take the advantage. Many of us are submitting, but our attitudes stink. And so therefore, we're not taking the advantage of being submissive because, again, we have a memory of someone manipulating, someone controlling. And so therefore, God has said, I'm trying to get the blessings to you. I'm trying to get my hands on you, but you keep looking at the thumb that's on you. When you tell people, I'm going to take the thumb off of me so the hand of God could be on me. Take the advantage of being led. So if you own a business, for example, and the staff comes in, you tell them, you want to submit to this. Why? Because it vanished you. You get benefits. You get raised. Come on. I can bring favor in your life. I give you access to stuff. I'm giving you stuff for free. This is so good. Come on. This is how you move and prosper. That's how I've done it for all of my life. I'm not that smart. Figure out that by now. It's the favor of God on my life, people. It's the favor of God on my life. Perhaps I told you this story before, but I want to share it again because I remember when I first came to this nation, and, and, and of course, God brought me here, and, and, and I went to this company, and, and I worked for this company, and when I had to go back to Canada, this is what the owner said. If I had a private jet... I would fly it to Toronto to pick him up and bring him back down here so he can be part of this organization. Every employer should be saying that about every believer of God because you're expanding the kingdom. Because you're expanding the kingdom. And when you see corruption, you speak to it because you open your mouth. Because you realize now I'm being taught how to create culture. Come on. That's kingdom oriented. Because we got to move. So take the advantage of being led. Then he goes on and says something different. He not just says submit to your leaders. Now he says obey your leaders. Because to submit can be, okay, fine, I'm going to do it. But to obey means action. To obey means actually doing it. This is not just words. This is actually action. uh, action, Excuse me. Obey your leaders. Because here's why. Because they protect your soul. They protect your soul. And how do we do that? The Bible says... That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. And it says something. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So in my hands, I have two things. I have a staff that recognizes and identifies me as a shepherd. And I also have a rod in my hand for the enemy to recognize that I've got weapons. I got both. I'm leading people. And I got the staff in my hands. That's the staff of God because it's God's people. And I got the rod in my hand. And what happens is this, is that as we are moving, watch this now, as we are moving towards God has for us, there's an enemy that's hiding, that's lurking in the dark. And so because, ready for this, you're ahead of me. Oh, God. 
Here's why. Because my sheep knows my voice. And so you're ahead of me. And what happens is this. As you are leading, you're trusting that I'm leading you into green pastures, right? And what happens is that I recognize the enemy that's coming up. And I don't use my rod because it doesn't go. I don't use, excuse me, I don't use my staff. I use the rod that I can release. So the staff is to reach you, but the rod is to release And so what happens is the rod then becomes the weapon. And when I throw it, you're going to hear it, but it's not for you. It is for the enemy that's lurking right there. And if you don't obey and you move in the way, you get hit with the rod that was meant for the enemy. And you wonder why I hurt you. The deal was you didn't see the devil that was trying to rob you. And so because you know my voice, you stay in position. You stay because you know where he's taking me, where he's taking me is the green pastures. And God is saying, I'm taking you places. Come on. And you've got to trust that you're going to hear my voice. My sheep knows my voice and a stranger they won't listen to. And in the midst of all the noise that's taking place, all the noise that's taking place right now, he's saying you've got to, in this hour, don't listen to the noise. you got to hear the voice. Because what happens is there's a rod that's coming through and it's going to take out the enemy so you can get to where God wants you to go so he says it's to protect your soul what good of a pastor would i be if i didn't protect your soul now there's a difference between defending you and protecting you big difference because sometimes i can defend you and prevent god's work in you to bring you to wholeness And how I defend you is when I step in the way, when God says, get out of the way, I'm going to deal with this. But to protect you is where I intercede. To protect you is where I go before God and says, God, have mercy on them. God, have mercy on us. God, be with them. And so when you want protection, because when you're protected, you know then that God is for you. Is this helping anybody? So stop. So how does this work? Let me finish with this. How does this work? It works this way. First thing you have to do then after all that, he says, stop sinning. He says, stop sinning. Stop missing the mark. That's what sinning means. Stop sinning. We say that word now, we're thinking like, oh my gosh. I will tell people now, I don't know what you have to do now to like go to hell. I mean, there's nothing you can do now. We have given this love message now that things like, that's not protecting you at all. That's actually worse. Like, that's, that's stupid. Because <laughs> Hebrews, Jesus even says, those you love, you chastise. He corrects so they may be in righteousness. And so what he's saying here is, is stop sinning. In other words, you got to get to a place where Jesus says, right, in John 8, verse 11, I'm, I'm, in John 8, 11, he says, she said, no, Lord. This is John 8, 11, where they brought the person condemned. that was caught in the middle of adultery. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I don't condemn you. I know what they were trying. I know what the enemy was trying to do. I don't condemn you. But he says now, but go and sin no more. He says you were trapped. It was a temptation. But he says you got to be transformed. Write that down, somebody. Come on. See, the enemy will trap you to tempt you. But when you come to Jesus, he transformed. Y'all say that again. The enemy will set a trap for you. Come on, to bring temptation. But then you got to realize it's for transformation. If you do that, people will know how to stop and sin no more. I'm going to say that again. 
there is a devil that wants to trap you. And you, as long as you're breathing, will face temptations. But when you go before Jesus, it's always transformation. So, of course, he loves you. Of course, he does. Of course, he loves you. But he also wants to transform you. And you can't have one without the other. You just can't. You just can't. And so what has happened now is, is we don't teach on sin anymore. Because the vote of confidence will be, what's his problem? <laughs> the church down the road ain't teaching on it. So Jesus says, I don't condemn you. You know good preaching when you're not condemned. Good preaching sets you free. Solid preaching sets you free to realize, God, this is not what's best for me. I'm going to stop it. And so the pastor comes and he does that. And so the reason why he does it is because you have to be in relationship. You got to do life together. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and verse 20 says, uh, 26 and 27 says, Be ye angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's why you want me to stop sinning. Yes! I destroyed the works of the devil on the cross. Stop giving him room to still operate. Because he will always bring back to me, Jesus, your blood didn't work. Look, they're still sinning. That is so good. Deep but good. And so what, what keeps me? And you look back and think, oh my God, you don't make mistakes. You don't sin. Oh, come on, I'm human. But I don't make that an excuse to not walk in holiness. So being human doesn't mean I can't walk in holiness. Being a human means I need the grace of God to walk in holiness. And so I have men that I surround myself with. We meet for prayer on Saturdays. We get together and they ask the hard questions. How's your thought life? You faithful to your wife? How's your devotion? They want me to stop sinning. I submit to that accountability because how can I tell you to stop sinning if I'm going to continue sinning? Come on. And so what we have created by not telling people to stop sinning is popular preachers. That you can't do without them. And so we're actually emboldened their sin. Let me get off of that before I get emails. And so we said, if we're going to fellowship together, we got to recognize this. That if you come to me, you got to realize, be who God has called you to be. So I can be who God's called me to be. So that when we do life together and we have disagreements, we don't move until we give the opportunity to the devil. Because we're both submitted. Oh, God. This is good stuff. It's going to help our nation, I'm telling you. And that's what we're telling all leaders of every denomination party. Stop sinning. Stop violating the word of God. Come on, we can all agree with that, right? Stop sinning. You're missing the mark. And so we see all that's taking place and all this anger. And we're giving the opportunity for the devil. So the enemy's saying, oh my goodness. Listen, if they keep sinning, I can keep existing. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. And I'll move on to my last point. Richie, come on up. So I'm in Virginia and I'm speaking to the college, the, the university, Life Pacific University. I'm there and I'm, I'm, I'm in the... Uh, the suite that they have me in and um i'll never understand why they got so many throw pillows on a bed i'm like 
so I'm there. Meg's not with me. I'm there, and it's a king size bed, and I'm like, it serves no purpose. Meg's not here. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I got that one, right? Praise God, you know, and so um, I got a happy marriage, you know what I mean? So I'm like, nah, you know, she's not there. But I see all these throw pillars, Minister Blaine. Like about 15 of them. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. What in the world are all these throw pillows? Ladies, why do you have so many things on a bed? And I'm like, I am not touching that because I don't know how to put it back together again. You know what I mean? So I just, I'm going to go in the other room where there was one pillow. And I moved it out of the way and I was sleeping there. And, and um, so I'm in the room and I'm, you know, trying to sleep and I'm getting ready for my message and all those things. And, and all of a sudden I feel as if like in the room, I just sensed that there was like someone came in the door and there was like a family that ran into the room, uh, in, into the suite. And, and, and um, uh, I just felt like as if like one of the kids that came with the family like ran into the room because it was where the kids would stay and like came on the bed and was like just laying on top of me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still sleeping. And, um, and so I, I, I'm saying, get out in Jesus name. And I'm like, um, get off of me in Jesus' name. And eventually just left. And I wake up and I'm like, man, it must be 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking and it's like 2.59. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I said, devil, I got to speak in the morning, man. And you come, and, you come and do that nonsense on me. But I got up and I went to the living room and I opened my Bible. And I prayed for this church. And I said, God, at that time of the night, there's spiritual things taking place. And he woke me up. He woke me up. He said, I want you to pray. If we're going to stop sinning, we have to start praying. The very thing that was said in the word of God, my house should be called a house of prayer. I'm not talking some organized prayer. I'm talking about spontaneous, obedient prayers. So Friday, I was able to come to the prayer meeting on Friday. and um, I was right there. And a song just came out of Vicky as we were singing. And she was just saying the name of Jesus. She was just saying the name, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She sang it much better, of course. But I sat there and all of a sudden I recognized, says, God, I ask you to forgive me for not praying as I ought to pray. It's not that I don't pray. It's that, it, it's that the kingdom In other words, the things that have to stop so I can pray. The things I have to stop doing so I can pray. One of those things is, is I got to stop giving my life over to the enemy. I got to stop giving him access because what he does, he finds opportunity to continue to rob me of movement. And you don't want to connect with me when I haven't felt like I can't move. 
Because I'll attack you thinking that you're resisting. Come on. My movement. And so what God is saying is that when you stop sinning, when you stop missing the mark, you are free now to engage and move about and understand what God has for you. Because when we stop sinning, here's what God says. The second thing we'll stop doing, we will stop fighting. We first stop fighting God. And we'll stop fighting each other. He says the reason why the enemy keeps us sinning is because he wants to keep us fighting. Because if we keep fighting, we waste energy that we need for the real fight. That night in that room when that experience happened. I was exhausted. It was 2.59 in the morning. Had to speak. But I had to recognize that the enemy doesn't want me to fight the real fight. And we'll get to what the real fight is. And so this is what it is. He's saying stop the fighting because in James chapter 4 verse 1 to 4 in the book of James. He says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. It is not this that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you don't have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. You ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. He's saying, listen, listen here. It's the real fight. It's the real fight. And so when we tell you to, to stop and to go, it's, it's the real fight. And what is the real fight? Someone says, what is the real fight, Pastor Rowe? It's this. It's to fight the good fight of faith. It's to fight the good fight of faith. It is to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12. It is to fight the good fight of faith. Why do we pray? We're fighting the good fight of faith. Why do we vote? We're fighting the good fight of faith. Why do we engage? We're fighting the good fight of faith. Why do you do what you do? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. How come you can resist temptation? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. How can you do it? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. How come you're grieving? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. How come you feel helpless? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. What do you do? I'm fighting the good fight of faith. Young people, fight the good fight of faith. Stop the sinning. Stop fighting because you haven't seen anything yet you haven't seen anything yet what God is about to do in this nation good God almighty if the righteous are in authority good God almighty the Bible says that the nation rejoices good God almighty I'm here to prophesy to somebody this morning you have went into the promised land come on And you have received what God has for you. But you brought those things back and you are saying, I can't fight. There's giants in the land and God is saying, stop that way of thinking. And go possess the land that I told you that's yours. 
What promise has God given you? Come on. It's time for you to go and possess those things. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. You're going to fight the good fight of faith because the name of Jesus Christ is with you. Can we just shout out the name of Jesus? Come on. It's the name of Jesus. I'm going to submit. Come on. I'm going to take the advantage. I'm going to obey. Come on. And I'm going to protect my soul. Stop. Call your son and daughter and tell them, stop. If you're here and you're fighting on the inside of you, you're fighting depression, you're fighting anxiety, you're fighting a label. Come on. You're fighting condemnation. The enemy is bringing all sorts of thoughts to you. I want you to know right now, stop the fighting. Come on. And I want you to recognize that the grace of God is available to help you to fight the good fight of faith. That means you have to stop what you're doing and say, God, where do you want me to go next with this? Come on. Let's sing this song as we launch you out this morning.